as the capital comes out of the growth space, there is going to be a big, beautiful bull market in real stuff. These minerals, we, all of modern life, all of human welfare depends on mining. We identified back in 2010 that um, lithium is certainly going to be a, a metal of the future um, and it's going to have an important place in the world. There is no alternative for lithium at the moment and it can't be replaced. Welcome back to Rockstock Channel and thanks for checking in. Like Tesla and all disruptive phenomena, Rodney and I are hoping to grow this channel to 20,000 subscribers in the next few months. And so we'd like to kick off this video with a special request. If you find our work helpful, please support us in getting favor with the algorithm. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this video with an investing friend. If you'd like access to exclusive content and to reach out to Rodney and me directly, consider joining us as a patron at patreon.com slash channel. Today's video is broken into three segments. After this intro is about 11 minutes of commentary from the three entrepreneurs you just heard from who have become billionaires, building multi-billion dollar businesses in different ways and different commodities. The final segment discusses other companies that I see following in the footsteps of these and other recent success stories in lithium battery metals. As a reminder, it is my opinion that the niche upstream raw materials powering the energy transition is one of the key secular investment themes of our time. The vast majority of my investments are in equities in the upstream supply chain, miners, processors, and developers. Like Tesla stock several years ago, investors who educate themselves about these specialized commodities generally, and individual companies in particular, have an opportunity to accumulate life transformational wealth. But please note, I am not a financial advisor and nothing I say should be construed as investment advice. Please do your own research and read the disclaimer at the end of this video or on RK Equities website. To recap my overarching narratives, commodities and commodity equities are good inflation hedges. Energy transition metals are largely commodities and present a win-win to play both the EV and energy storage thematic and the commodities as an inflation hedge thematic. The current structural deficit in lithium that we predicted for years has been here for 18 months and will soon become apparent for graphite and nickel and other metals. Battery-grade demand is so strong, supply will not be able to keep up. Cell shortages and battery price rises are here due to shortages and price rises of battery raw materials. MP Materials Jim Latinsky frames the narrative well. Technology and growth have attracted all the capital over the last decade, while real assets like upstream and midstream raw materials have suffered from a long period of disinvestment. Big mining, steel, and oil producers are generating massive cash flows, but they've been returning a large proportion to shareholders through high dividends and share buybacks. Because their valuations are very low, the cost of capital is very high. That's starting to change. Investments in growth and M&A is underway and is poised to accelerate rapidly with higher prices paid for quality assets, especially for niche metals powering the energy transition. M&A activity will include new investors with deeper pockets than the industry has witnessed before. Just last week, Big Oil, Coke Industries, made a second growth equity investment in a USA DLE lithium play, investing $252 million in Compass Minerals in Utah, which follows $100 million they invested late last year in Standard Lithium in Arkansas. In the wake of summer market jitters, I presented at Fast Market's flagship lithium conference at the end of June, arguing that Mr. Market had yet again presented another buy-the-dip gift, 30 to 70% retracements in many equities. 
I predicted that Higher Love would return. Early last week, producers Albemarle, SQM, Alchem, Liven, Mineral Resources, Pilbara, Hit, All Time, Higher Love. The number of Unicorn developers is growing. A handful of pre-producers have reached multiple billion-dollar valuations. Graphite and nickel stories have largely languished over the past year, as have rare earths and copper, for which MP Materials and Robert Friedland's Ivanhoe Mine stock prices are good proxies. But this should change in time. Listen closely to bullish billionaires Robert Friedland, Jim Latinsky, and Chris Ellison. And then my concluding segment, highlighting a few companies in which I see relative and absolute value and very favorable risk-reward. When Henry Ford invented the uh, mass production of automobiles in the 1920s, he quickly found that he had to go to Minnesota and start mining iron to make his steel. He quickly learned he had to go to Brazil and grow rubber to make his tires. So in the early days, uh, the car manufacturer, Henry Ford, actually did go upstream looking for his raw materials. It's, you know, the 19-teens and Ford is just out. I mean, there is an entire supply chain. There's a lot of stuff that needs to get built and this supply chain stuff is existential. Since 2008, we're gradually seeing the integrated world economy balkanize and fall apart. So every country that can afford to do it wants to secure their supply chain. It's been about a decade plus since the global financial price, uh, crisis. A lot of money printing, a very low or negative cost of capital in growth, in technology. What has happened during that time simultaneously is the real economy has been starved. While the real economy has been starved, China's made investments. Pretty much all of the incremental steel and aluminum and commodities capacity in the world over the last decade has come online uh, because you know, China has led the way. As we electrify, while all this real stuff has come online, the Chinese have actually moved downstream very intelligently. Every nation is concerned now with developing their own domestic raw material supply chain. So we're seeing um, a transition from a just-in-time economy to a just-in-case global economy, where each nation-state is worried about their national security. I think we're getting a very rapid education in the real world that it's not easy to make an energy transition for planet Earth. Everything we're doing is consuming more and more electrical energy. The average person has all kinds of electronic devices. It's only in recent years that we're starting to get intelligent people in the financial system starting to understand a little bit about the supply chain and how difficult it is to find these critical raw materials if you don't want to do the way, do things the way we've always been doing them. Four of the top 10 OEMs are Chinese by global battery electric share. So when we think about the single largest private employer in the country, the auto industry, there's seven times as much content. And so when we think about the, the past of the fossil fuel driving uh, geopolitical uh, gamesmanship and power in the world, the future is about minerals. And this is just an example of the commodity needs as we electrify. If we take uh, those projections of what's going to happen in electrification, just in my space, so this is NDPR, this is the, the stuff that we make, the input into magnetics, you can see there's a huge deficit uh, that is looming. Outside of us, this entire supply chain is essentially domiciled in China. But what happens when the largest manufacturers in the world are all competing for what I showed you on that prior slide, uh, a shortage of supply, and we've seen lots of headlines, whether it's the semiconductor issue. If there's an allocation of materials, 
and the materials are controlled by China or another geopolitical rival, which downstream businesses do we think are going to get those materials? And this is actually now an existential issue for all of us. We have international competition for the same raw materials played out at the level of the nation state. The Japanese are looking for raw materials for the Japanese car makers. The Koreans are looking for raw materials for the Korean car makers. We all know that the Chinese have at least a 20-year head start in the raw material supply chain for electrification. We're heading for a train wreck in the electrification of the automobile. Only 1 million out of 280 million cars in the United States are electric today. There's 279 million to go in the U.S. alone. We've seen a huge increase in the price of the current generation of batteries, which tend to be nickel-intensive, cobalt-intensive, lithium-intensive, and these prices of these raw materials are going up by hundreds of percent. That's why I think the whole space is a screaming buy, because if you look across all of these companies, the cost of capital is just so high, and so one of two things has to happen, or both, which is prices just have to go vertical, uh, or someone starts taking them out, or we're just not going to have the stuff to electrify. Ford, General Motors, they're playing for the American team. And you're going to see this result in astronomically beyond your wildest dreams, increases in demand for these relatively thinly traded metals. And these mines don't, don't materialize overnight. We're in um, supply deficit at the moment and it feels like it's going to stay there through till at least 2030. The price outlook, if you're down in the black and you own rock in the ground, you're God. If you're in that other space and you don't own your rock, you literally you're screwed by us. And it's a really good place to be. I mean, I haven't been there very often. I've been on the other end. But right now, I feel really, really good about this. So, so what's going to happen is I think you're going to see Tesla or someone like that buy upstream into these industries because ultimately downstream, wow. they all realize that the real stuff is in shortage and you can't have the enterprise value downstream because it's like musical chairs. If there are 12 major automakers sitting around a table and they're playing a game of musical chairs, two or three may find the raw materials for nickel and cobalt intensive batteries. I'll bet that in the next five years, we will see a major household name OEM fail or need a bailout due to not, you know, prices went up on them, but lack of access to materials. A lot of people want the energy transition to happen this decade, like now. We're just beginning to see how hard that really is. America has an enormous geological endowment. Going back about five years ago, this site went bankrupt. Uh, it was a public company. It sort of it rose and then it fell. Um, and nobody believed that we could compete against China. And in fact, I had to, we, we showed up. I showed up in the Delaware courthouse steps. I mean, it was literally like out of a movie. There were other creditors pushing to send this thing into bankruptcy. One of the most valuable rare earth materials mines in the world. And this is the future. This is a material for electrification and no one wants it. Not only does no one want it, but people think that actually we can't even produce here economically because the Chinese have taken over the industry. And I frankly, I felt as an American, somebody had to do this. You know, fast forward to today, which we went public a couple years ago, we're a six and a half billion dollar market cap. We're now doing um, approximately 450 million of run rate EBITDA today. So this has been a massive home run for, for myself and my investors. And I don't belittle that, ultimately we're capitalists. But I hope that we can kind of contextualize this for what needs to happen throughout our economy because as painful as the adjustment may be that we're now in this period that we're about to be in, 
as the capital comes out of the growth space, there is going to be a big, beautiful bull market in real stuff. And it is just beginning. There is a lot of stuff that needs to get built, and this supply chain stuff is existential. The good news is there needs to be a lot more stuff like this. Think about all the materials that we need uh, for this electrification boom. Now is a, a time to pivot, I think, because this is something that we need to do um, to, to get uh, competitive against. Tesla in their quarterly earnings said something to the effect of, we're gonna consider becoming a mining company as well. I encourage every entrepreneur out there uh, to get into lithium. Please, you know, become a lithium miner. We identified back in 2010 that um, lithium is certainly gonna be a, a metal of the future. Um, and it's going to have an important place in the world. There is no alternative for lithium at the moment, and it can't be replaced. We probably need on the order of 40 to 50 copper and nickel projects over the next couple decades, so call it roughly $200 billion of CapEx, to satisfy the demand for electrification that we have over the next couple decades. You know, just think about it from a strict investor point of view, from a financial arbitrage standpoint, is that in the real economy, mining and materials companies, steel companies, are trading at double-digit free cash flow yields, they're buying back stock, they have no leverage in their businesses, and then downstream, everyone's relying on them, and upstream, these guys, they don't want to spend to build out new capacity because the cost of capital is too high. Part of, I think, why a lot of folks, you know, folks like this, who could probably go into that business, don't, is in the back of their mind, they think, man, this is like, this is a lot of gnarly stuff if something goes wrong. How do you manage that risk, and how, and how big is that risk if we try to do this in America? So, as a human being, as an American, I would rather have mines being done in America, in the state of California, over elsewhere in the world, where I certainly know that, I, I assure you that nickel mining in Russia is not as environmentally friendly as it is in Canada. Well, I think the Germans are learning a hard lesson about what happens when you shut down nuclear reactors and decide, hey, let's buy our, let's buy our energy from Putin. It's a fair analogy to say that Germany is to knack gas as we are to China supply chain. Where would you spend your time right now if you weren't doing MP? It's just anything that is real stuff, lithium, copper, nickel, steel, aluminum, all of these areas that have been starved, the cost of capital is just so high. Anywhere you look in this space, you're looking in the right direction. Could you get your mine operational in today's political environment? This is a big time area where we need to come together. There should be a grand bargain. The environmentalists should say, I accept that we need this stuff. I accept that we don't want it to be only made in Russia and China. And they should loosen up on some of the permitting stuff. And I think the people who are just like, you know, drill, 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 mine, 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 don't care, need to accept that we need to have really tough standards. We should have some kind of grand bargain, and it could be, you know, tax policy focused on it, but there needs to be some kind of coming together in our country to recognize that we need this stuff. COVID 2020 witnessed massive monetary and fiscal stimulus resulting in the boom in Robinhood, meme stocks, cryptocurrency, and massive special purpose acquisition company IPO issuance. EV and battery-themed SPACs were among the highest flyers, and I created a scoreboard keeping track of them all alongside RK Equities, Lithium, Nickel, Graphite, Rare Earths, and Titanium scoreboards. I wrote and spoke about the huge disconnect in capital allocation to super high-risk downstream players like Nikola, Hylion, Canoe, Fisker, QuantumScape, and many others. I considered these non-critical startups to be commodities, highly skeptical of overly rosy financial projections. I lamented the super high valuations that smart money, blue chip American institutional investors threw at these companies in hundreds of millions of dollar increments, often following strategic venture capital by OEMs like Volkswagen or BMW. 
I found it annoying that such investors shunned the capital-starved and deeply discounted upstream raw materials where I predicted the true bottleneck would emerge. I invested in and spoke about just two of these SPACs, MP Materials and Frere Battery, both of which are trading at meaningful premiums to their $10 SPAC IPO prices. I'd like to pay my respects to Britain's Queen Elizabeth and to Australia's Olivia Newton-John, a princess in my teenage dreams. During July 2020's Stimmy Mania, I published issue 60 of the Lithium Bull, suggesting that most e-speculations were premature. Summer Lovin' had me a blast. Summer Lovin' happened so fast. I also compared the hedge fund and private equity sponsors of MP Materials SPAC to Bobby Axelrod, the fictional hedge fund titan of the series Billions, which inspired the title of today's video. Jim Latinsky is Wall Street Central Casting a Yale undergrad and Northwestern MBA who had the vision in 2017 to take a contrarian bet on a scarce, bankrupt, made-in-California commodity. With some great market timing in both financial market mania and rare earth pricing, he's now a billionaire. Chris Ellison left school at age 15 and built his billion-dollar empire over 30 years in Western Australia mining. I have covered Chris and his company Mineral Resources at length in our Freebird Lithium video a few weeks ago. I believe the mother of all re-ratings may be underway at Minres as the company contemplates a U.S. listing, which would be compared to, among others, the premium valuation companies like MP Materials have attracted. After some time in college at an apple orchard commune with Steve Jobs, Robert Friedland has built his billionaire fortune with repeat success with the exploration drill bit, taking risks in geographies most are unwilling to go to. I was privileged to start RK Equity in 2002 with Robert Friedland's original Ivano Mines in Mongolia as my first client. I'm not invested in any of his many companies at present, but I observe his recent SPAC merger into solid-state play SESAI and a second private investment in Emily Bodoin's Pure Lithium. I look forward to hearing what he might be cooking up in lithium after years of throwing shade on the irreplaceable element. I'll talk more about lithium in a second, but first want to flag a graphite and a nickel story, which I think are poised to join the ranks of the near dozen lithium unicorns that have emerged over the past two years. Like MP Materials, Minres, and Ivanhoe, Nouveau Monde in graphite and Talon Metals and nickel have savvy financial backers who know a thing or two about creating billions in mining shareholder value. Lead shareholder in both companies is Pallinghurst, led by Brian Gilbertson, Arne Fransden, and Andrew Willis who have been nine for nine in bringing green and brownfield mines into production. Pallinghurst recently monetized a huge gain in their first EV battery material investment, selling their 25% stake in Namaska, which they bought for pennies on the dollar for approximately $450 million in live in shares. Nouveau Monde is now very advanced with their plans for an integrated modular coated spherical graphite product in the burgeoning midstream industrial park of Becancourt. They are processing their world-class Matawini mine nearby in Quebec and partnering for chlorine supply with number one chloralkali producer, Olin. Pallinghurst last year invested $60 million at 60 cents in America's only high-grade nickel sulfide developer, Talon Metals. They bought about half the stake owned by multi-billion private equity group resource capital funds. A few months after Pallinghurst's investment, Talon signed an important offtake in partnership with Tesla. Why Talon continues to trade below Pallinghurst's cost basis remains a mystery to me, and a potential opportunity for you. Back to lithium, refining billions is actually a lot harder than mining billions, unless vertically integrated, as is Chris Ellison's plan at Mineral Resources. For all the press attention to Tesla's recent application in Texas for a 365 million lithium hydroxide plant, 
Elon Musk will still be screwed using Chris Ellison's colorful comments without owning his own rock. Might Tesla get into mining its own spodumene? Sigma Lithium is the largest mineral lithium project in the Americas. We're currently in construction and we're expecting to commission the plant by the end of this year. When that happens, Sigma is expected to be amongst the top five global lithium producers in the world. Sigma Lithium has grown to two and a half billion market cap, reaping hundreds of millions of value for investors for its main shareholder, A10 Investimos. A Brazilian private equity firm. Tens of millions have been made for smaller mutual funds and hedge funds, and millions for some smaller investors who have been along for the 10-bagger-plus ride from $2 IPO to current $25 stock price. I, unfortunately, have not been among them. But I couldn't be happier for their co-CEOs, Ana Cabral Gardner and Calvin Gardner, who I had the opportunity to catch up with last week at their investor day in New York. Sigma, Forecasting nearly 500,000 tons spodumene production in a few years has followed a similar trajectory to Pilbara Minerals in a similarly short time frame. After a spectacular discovery by star geologists Neil Biddle and John Young, Pilbara's Ken Brinsden navigated brilliantly through lithium's 2.0 to 3.0 boom-bust-boom to today's $8 billion U.S. market cap. The re-rating Sigma has experienced, tripling in value to $2.5 billion since their NASDAQ listing 12 months ago, is a textbook trajectory of the life cycle of a mining company. Like Ernest Hemingway's novel, The Sun Also Rises, it's been a gradually, then suddenly story, which contrasts with the much further in the future production at Liontown, which has had an elevated valuation for a lot longer. The valuation of Cyanum mining seems to be following a similar course to Sigma as it brings online North American lithium spodumene in Quebec with partner Piedmont Lithium. It'll be interesting to watch which of North American lithium or Sigma will be first to reach nameplate spodumene production next year. A significant curiosity and potential opportunity is the fact that Mr. Market has not priced into Piedmont Lithium the same near-term spodumene production and cash flow despite Piedmont's disproportionate share of expected offtake from the North American lithium mine. A number of sell-side institutions have started to run the numbers of hundreds of millions of 2024 EBITDA, but the clearest articulation I've seen comes from this graphic from a tweet I found from Chancellor Kerr. Assuming North American lithium produces 165,000 tons of spodumene and a heavily discounted $3,000 spodumene price compared to $7,000 at present, Piedmont would generate nearly three times the EBITDA than Cyana, $273 million versus $107 million. In my opinion, what Keith Phillips and Brett Lynch at Piedmont and Cyana are doing at formerly bankrupt North American lithium can be compared to what Jim Latinsky has done at MP Materials, turning around a bankrupt critical minerals mine into a multi-hundred million EBITDA cash machine and a five billion market cap company. Like Jim and MP, one thing Sigma, Pilbara, Liontown, Siona, and Piedmont have in common is that their leadership comes from outside of the lithium or rare earths industries. Money printing mining attracts entrepreneurs and executives of all stripes. Piedmont's Keith Phillips, like MP's Jim Latinsky, is Wall Street central casting. Mining high-margin spodumene software is relatively low capex and is the most conventional, quickest route to scaling lithium units into a deeply undersupplied market. Near-term spodumene producers and developers offer some of the best risk-reward on RK Equity's lithium equity scoreboard, in my opinion. The project I am keeping closest eye on, am advisor to, or invested in are critical elements. Winsome Resources, Global Lithium, Green Technology Metals, Frontier Lithium, and Atlantic Lithium. 
all of which I believe to have a good chance to follow in Minrez, Pilbara, Sigma, Liontown, Sayana, and Piedmont's footsteps. Outside Spodumene, I have my eye on recent developments in the Eurozone, which seem to be following the United States in advancing policy in support of lithium battery metals projects, so as not to replicate the challenges they currently confront with oil and gas reliance on geopolitical rivals. The concept of identifying certain projects as strategic has entered the European discourse at the highest levels. In my opinion, Europe's largest hard rock lithium project, past producing Cinevec, is likely to be considered strategic. Cinevec is controlled by Chez, one of Europe's largest utilities and deeply connected to the Czech state. European Metals Holdings, which owns 49% of this project, has been trading at one of the largest discounts of all advanced lithium developers and has had minimal trading liquidity. In my opinion, the sun also rises in the Czech Republic. A gradually, then suddenly effect is certainly possible with EMH. Since I returned to making videos in late June, I have focused most attention on macro and political developments impacting the lithium battery metals thematic. Earlier this year, Rockstock Channel prepared a series of videos focused on individual equities entitled Equity Overview with Rodney Hooper. In coming weeks, we will revisit this series with one-on-one -on -one interviews with many of the CEOs and other management behind these exciting developers. We will also record shortly a much-anticipated video with Joe Lowry, aka Mr. Lithium. Stay tuned for those videos and please let me know in the comments below what you think about today's video and any questions you might like to ask our future guests.